1: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The State of Love and Trust. It's a Pearl Jam podcast, and I'm one of your two hosts, Jason Carapessi, And alongside me, as always, is Paul Giliari. Oh, baby, we are deep into October now. Yep. The pumpkin spice and the candy corns. And What do you got there?
2: Yeah, this is uh, Elysian Dark of the Moon. Pumpkin stout. It's got the uh, charming silhouette. Of a bloodthirsty werewolf. See, they should have called it by moonlight. They should have <laughs> called it the Bark at the Moon. and Had swigget. Swiggit. Mm. It is delicious, though. You can find this uh, <laughs> variety pack at <laughs> I, I highly encourage anyone stateside if you have access. Elysian Brewery. They have a a, a lovely uh, Halloween themed set, and uh, I'm a big fan. I think the uh, the Night Owl uh, Pumpkin uh, Ale is the best one of the group, but.
1: Uh, are there three different ones
2: four, actually. or four different ones so how do you An, the, an, the an imperial bag? pumpkin that's stout there's, there's this one mm-hmm. uh i'm sorry there's an imperial ale mm-hmm. a pumpkin ale this pumpkin stout and then there's also a coffee porter i think
1: Ooh. that's a dessert this has been beer time with jason and paul yeah. uh <laughs> welcome to the show uh if you're just Finding us, um, by way of the broad class and broad class and holy dyslexia, the Brad Clausen interview we did last week. Welcome. Um, I know there's been some traction with that episode and we're, we're happy to have you along for the ride. Um, just a little bit of a housekeeping off the top one, as always, of course, we have a, a big, super extra tight hug, uh, virtually of course for our patrons uh, on Patreon. So thank you guys for getting con- another one over the weekend popped on
2: yep thanks to rich for joining very excited about that rich and we have t- uh, tip of the cap to you sir glad to have you oh the cap i've actually mm-hmm. known rich for a long time he's a good dude
1: um we also have if you listen if you didn't listen last week or you missed the instagram post we have a contest out right now. it's more like a raffle not really a contest per se but uh basically is we have a in wrapped in wrapped in in plastic wrapped copy vinyl copy of no code And you could have it for zero dollars. And all you have to do is
0: rate, review, and subscribe to this
2: podcast on your platform of choice.
1: That's it. That's it. Simple. How about that? Uh, So if you are inclined to complete your collection with a copy of No Code on vinyl, there you go. Free copy could be your way. Becoming your way. And you have until October 28th at midnight. Uh, to get that, in. we'll pick somebody at random and announce it on the November first episode, which is in three weeks. I think. Mm-hmm. Exciting times. So this week on the show, we are going to be a little topical. There's actually some interesting news that popped up last week um, involving the one, two, I guess the fourth Pearl Jam drummer,
2: mm-hmm. Jack Irons. Uh, he tweeted. He got, got to. Chamberlain and Krusen. There's one, and, two. And uh, Dave. Dave A.
1: That proceeds. So, yeah, Jack, Jack would be four if you don't count Matt Cameron the first time during the demos. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Jack Irons tweeted a link to a SoundCloud uh, MP3 that Pearl Jam Online Italy posted. And he said, Oh, this is like one of the first things i ever recorded back in 1994 for the band uh and someone asked him in the twitter replies if this was used as walkout music during those 96 shows he says, ah possibly but it's hard to remember but they definitely moved uh onto other intro music over time um now it says 1994 or he says 94 it feels a little bit more yieldy to me um, but it's classic, it's classic Jack Irons, right? It's the world beat. It's got some steel drum accents uh-huh. going on. What, what did you, what, what were your thoughts when you first heard this five minute instrumental?
2: I, I mean, know, yeah, it's, it's got some, some cool tropical, um, you know, ca- ca- Caribbean, you, you get the, the, the steel drum in there, right? You get, uh, you get th- those worldly beats, just classic Jack. I think it was, uh, it was signature in a lot of ways. mm mm-hmm. Um. I would have loved to have kind of heard, it, it had a red dot feel to it, right? Mm-hmm. That's why I said so, it was
1: more like a Yieldy sound for me. Yeah,
2: yeah. But I, I think uh, I think Jack's sound was, was uh, slowly influencing the band through those two records more and more. To, mm-hmm. to, and I feel like it was, it's so fascinating how it was starting to gel in a way that for many, Yield is actually a, a favorite Pearl Jam record. A lot mm-hmm. of people consider it to be their crowning achievement. Uh, which, which makes me wonder, which makes me wonder something, something we might have to talk about tonight, Jason.
1: Well, what a segue as always from Paul Guglieri, uh, this bit of news had us kind of scratching our heads and going, you know, what if Jack Irons never left the band? What if he did, and they, they come back from Australia in 1998 mm-hmm. and he's like, I'm, I'm still in, I'm still, I'm feeling okay. I want to carry on with you guys. Where would they be today? Where would the members of the band be today? Wink wink. Yeah. What what would the band be doing, if anything? So I think the first question that I want to ask you is how is the first album post-yield different, if at all? Like what does binaural or whatever the hell they they make, what does it sound like if he's still there?
2: Well, I think you really started to uh, you started to see a portrait come together, whereas No Code in a lot of ways was a collage of these, dare I say, competing sounds and influences. It was very eclectic in nature. And I think Mm -hmm. that's what what makes it such a a wonderful record is that you get to see a massive just the full spectrum of what Pearl Jam was capable of at that time. Just a, a, a varied sphere of influences with Yield. They, they, they reined that in, they tightened it, and they focused and targeted it towards something. And I, I feel to a certain degree, each band member, namely Jack, was able to figure out a way to uh, craft his drumming style and that sound in a way that complemented the band, whereas I feel as, as though it was very much driving a lot of what we were hearing in No Code. hmm and you know, you and I have talked about how uh, disillusioned Jeff was with the recording of that record, and and no, code. All, uh, yeah, Stone and, and as well. How, yeah, I mean, I I think that it, it was a record that nearly tore the band apart, and and uh, I think Jack was the, the the thread that held the fabric together. But with an album like Yield, that steadying presence helped generate some of the best material the band has ever produced. So Arguably, the, the most collaborative album, too. Correct. So I think that collaborative spirit would have continued on the next record. But remember, the next record was very much driven by politics, right? So Binaural mm-hmm. was was a reaction to uh, what American society was faced with in terms of uh, the, the election and, and uh, you know questions about election fraud and things of that nature i mean I, I i hate even using that term especially in this day and age but really? there was a, a lot happening at the time that they felt the need to to rebel against lyrically uh you saw songs like rival and <clears throat> songs like uh, insignificance um just a, a ton of songs that really really contributed in a lot of ways to the band's mental state at the time so where does jack play into that well i think i think you have to examine a couple of things number one in March of 98, when Jack stepped away after the uh, the Australian tour was done, he physically and mentally could not handle this anymore. Right. He just wasn't mentally well enough to carry on. Uh, he's, I'm going to quote him here. He says, I just wasn't well enough to carry on. You got to be fairly healthy to go play 15, 20, 30,000 people four or five times a week. You can't start to come unglued. There's thousands and thousands of people counting on you to do your job and to do it well. I just couldn't do it at the time. He was 35 years old at that point in time. Yeah. So notably older than a lot of members of the band. And I mean, you got to remember, you know, Chili Peppers, 1983, these guys were, were hitting the stage. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I mean, he, you know, he came into the Chili Pepper scene. But all that being said, I feel as though, you know, Jack's bipolar disorder was something that really compromised his ability to feel like he could remain a member of this band and continue on that grind. Um, you know, he actually, he met his wife of 31 years. He met her the show before the one he met Eddie, I think on that. Uh, was it a Joel, Joel Strummer tour? I think I forget what. Uh, oh yeah. That was
1: 1990.
2: Yeah. The, the way back in the day. I, yeah. I want to say he met what would become his wife, the show before that. So it's just amazing that, you know, we, <laughs> anyone listening to this, the people you meet on a Pearl Jam tour, right? I mean, you just yeah, never know absolutely. The, the trajectory that it can send your life. Um, and I'm sure there's lots of folks listening who, who met some of their best friends, uh, people that, that they found themselves uh, uh, calling spouse at some point or another, you know, or significant other. But I feel as though the anxiety that Jack felt that 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 was triggered ultimately by the demands of touring that ultimately helped not helped but that caused him to recall that very painful familiar anxiety that he felt following the death of his best friend a decade before this mm-hmm. traveling the venues all of it it was just starting to help it, it, he was starting to spiral out of control more than anything uh, and he really couldn't couldn't fix it so if he had remained in the band and they they produced that next record, I think it would have been uh, turbulent. Uh, I don't think he would have survived another record. So, when I say what if he never left well, the Well, you band? You, don't, you don't mean survived like literally. No, I mean I don't think he could have <laughs> survived as a member of the band. Right. Uh, you know, I you know, I, I I wouldn't even put that into the universe saying he wouldn't have physically survived, but I think it would have been a very tumultuous record, one that Kind of actually, he, he would have gone from this influence that helped bring the band closer together and helped tighten the ties that bind to ultimately becoming a cataclysmic force that caused those binds to sever and come undone. And I, I feel like it would have tested the band's ability to remain a band, quite frankly, in ways that, um, that we didn't see. Dave was different, you know. There, there. Dave was on a, a different path than I think a lot of the other members of the band. And uh, Jack was the other way around. I feel like they, they were trying to meet Jack where he was. They, you know what I'm saying. And so if, mm-hmm. if if that became corrupted or toxic, to me, it would have bled over into the um the equilibrium of, of the, the band as a whole. I feel In like. A way... Go ahead. Sorry, I just
1: meant this. I, I think that Jack. Um, you said they they were trying to meet him.
2: Well, he was this calming, steadying presence that, it for a band that was in the midst of a state of real turbulence, that right. I mean, they were but starting to become unglued. He helped. He helped keep them together. Yes, but yes. I think he would have become unglued, and that in turn might have caused the band to become unglued again with him.
1: Yeah. So I think you know I don't think that the band met him. I think that he, that it was again like circumstance, like in nineteen ninety at the Bacchanal in San Diego. I think it was he was there for them at the right time. They needed him. He, he, he didn't was. change for anybody. They didn't change for him. They just happened to find that, that cross section. But he right was changing
2: because he was, because he was with them. It was, it was creating a negative change in him that forced him sure. to walk away. So here's what I would say. If he does, if he, I'm, I'm, I'm going to throw this out there because it's a bold call here. It's a bold okay. call cotton. <laughs> uh, if he stayed with the band, for one more record which I think would have been his last and potentially the band's last but that to me we might have gotten the Pearl Jam version of Abbey Road where you had a band that was literally coming apart and wow well yeah 10 up, years <laughs> right and they end up producing some of the best creative just ingenuity that they've ever produced i mean Ar- abbey road is arguably the greatest beatles album i know for some that's sacrilege to say that because there's a lot of Sgt. pepper fans a lot of revolver fans a lot of um, yeah. uh rubber soul and obviously um the white album, the white album but <clears throat> so i mean it's it's a litany of, of, of classics but there's a compelling argument for abbey road and and it, It's not like I'm the only one that's ever suggested Abbey Road is their finest achievement or crowning achievement. There are a lot of top lists that feature it as the top or second to to, to top album of all time amongst Beatles records. So it's very well regarded, both critically and amongst uh, uh, music lovers across the world. And so I feel that we, we could have theoretically seen uh, a band coming apart and producing this wildly amazing music as they spiraled out of control um, because I I don't think they would have wanted to kick Jack out. You know what I mean? I think it would, it would have been very, it's not like with Dave where the guy was uh, cruising, who, where he was drinking, you know? Um, right, yeah. And he just, you know, some of these guys have had substance. I mean, this is an issue where he just mentally could not keep it together if he continued on this path. So I, it would have been interesting. I think it would have been a wild flurry of just sonic achievement, to be honest with you. And you see some of that stuff coming out. I mean, obviously Matt had a huge role in binaural and, and they experimented with a different sound. But let's say they don't do that. I mean, would they have still gone that that oral route if uh, they had still had Jack? Or I mean, who drove that? You know what I mean? Like how, how involved would Jack have been? Would he have been on board with that direction? Would he have vetoed that and said, no, let's just stick with this instead. Let's, let's keep it raw and organic. I don't know, but... I do know that if you match what Jack does with some of the songwriting that each band member brought to the table, I think it would have been an evolution of what No Code and Yield had become. It would have been the third act of that evolution. And based on the trajectory of what those two albums came and how beloved Yield was, we arguably could have received the... It either would have been the greatest thing Pearl Jam had ever done. Or it would have been an unmitigated disaster, and it would, you know, people would look back on it and say they they, they imploded, and it was if they uh, even finished it. If they even finished it, yeah.
1: You know, it's. <clears throat> I think the the ultimate answer for me is that the band would not be a thing anymore.
2: Most likely not. I agree. Um,
1: I, I don't. I don't think they would be. I, I think um, Jack was really meant for what he ended up being to the band, which was a glue for a range of time while the band members found more yeah. solid footing in their personal lives and individually with the music culture and fame. And like, that's why I said before, I think they just kind of found each other at the right point in time in both of their trajectories or timelines. And to your point, Jack was going a different way as the rest of the band was starting to become more bonded again. That by the time 2000 rolls around, it may not have worked out. The other thing not. too, there is, um, let's say it all dissolves in like two thousand one, two thousand two. Is Matt Cameron around anymore? Who, right. who, if they even chose to find somebody else new, who the hell would that be? The other yeah. thing is, if um, you to think about some of the events that happened to Pearl Jim at that time, Ross killed, for example. Now I don't know that Ross killed happens any differently, um, as I haven't read too much about Matt having a big influence of that moment. But I think it was more, mostly Pete Townsend with Ed, but. Um, there are some flashpoints where you can say, well, how, does, how would Jack influence this moment? And if he's deteriorating, it's not gonna be a calming influence like we know Matt to be. You know? Um, but if you come back to the music, I think that what Jack brings to the table is for what they were becoming a bit finite. Um, I think he has some limitations maybe self-imposed stylistically that and, and i've been i've been on record as saying that i don't prefer the way that he played the first two albums mm. um comparatively to cruisin or dave a um or even to matt after the fact right um that said the stuff that he wrote obviously sounds best with him like I, if matt plays in my tree it's not the same it's not as good in my opinion. Um, but because of that, as they were finding a new direction from yield into bi- into binaural and then into riot act, I think there is some music that would have fit, but some that, that would just would have not have fit his style, right. or would have felt a little bit a little bit contrived, and maybe he wants to leave musically because it's just not his thing. I mean, right? Really think about avocado. That's that's not at all his his thing. Right. rock and roll thing um, so th- this is something that Pearl Jam doesn't do when it, when it comes to limitations, they, they, they don't just stay in one spot, they move around as we've seen um, across their entire career, they have classic rock or the uh, arena rock, punk rock as Stephen Hyden puts it in, in his new book, um, as like their ground level, but then they branch out and they, and they, don't, just, they don't just stay in Jack's wheelhouse, where they, they were for a moment in time they go they're, they're all over the place, and his musical sweet spot for me, it served a purpose in the mid '90s, and I don't know if the guys would have responded to it the same way after 2000 or maybe even 2002 for being generous. Um, and maybe they, maybe they have a lot of the same ideas for Rydek, but but the sea change to swing the pendulum back, to, like I said, to Avocado and Backspacer, especially, I just don't see Jack being into that. I, 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 th- yeah. I think it's a little too stock for what he likes to do. And that isn't that isn't a judgment on, on his style. It's just if the band's going at the direction, I don't think he has the influence or the songwriting style no. at the time to meet what they want to do.
2: And it's impressive when you think about the role drummers play in bands. I think there's a lot of Dude. folks that just find the drummer to be the beat. I mean, this is not and this is not a diss on Ringo. You know what I mean? But. Mm-hmm for for a long time, I don't think people recognize that drummers are not just adding the beat to an album or to a song. Like they, there is a creative force that drives the, uh, the, the, the sonic integrity of, of each composition and of an album as a whole. And you can see it in Pearl James music with each drummer, how the sound literally evolves and changes
0: mm-hmm.
2: and how much more of a collaborative band they, they became uh without a question, none of the albums we've heard so far exist if Jack was still in the band, even if he managed to survive. I mean, how old would he be at this point? I got to double check his age. but I mean, he's like five years old than the rest of the guys, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, he was 35 at the time. They were like late 20s, early 30s, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it, I could easily see, even if he had managed to power through, I think that they would have gone more in a punk and eclectic world beat direction for a while that i think after maybe one more album i think it would have kind of grown into a weird niche that just that they just got stuck in um and that they just couldn't break out of um so you know it's it, it, it's great that he existed in the band's tenure when he did and i think that for his own sake his own mental health we can all publicly say and it's okay to say that we're grateful that his tenure only lasted as long as it did. Yeah. And in, in in that sense, it was perfect for everybody because the band ended up with Matt and their their sound has evolved in the way that it has. And Jack played such a pivotal role in the band's history. He helped keep them together. Uh, he played an influential role in, in two of their marquee albums, arguably one of their best. Um, I don't know, man, it's, it, it's an interesting thing to consider. M- not necessarily because I think he'd still be drumming with them today. I don't think he would be, but I, I would love to, to, to find out what would that in an alternate use universe, that one extra album yeah. be, uh, there's a non-zero chance. It's the, the, you know, Pearl Jam equivalent of an Abbey road. And then that's it. They're done. And we look back on that album. We're just like, man, w- w- wow, <laughs> that, that was, that was something, something else. It, uh, it would definitely be
1: a- It'd be, it'd be very weird to think that the band wouldn't have existed for like the last 20 years. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I know. Mean, yeah. I
2: mean, I, I would still be, re, you know, I'd be that guy. That's just trying to find every boot I can from back then. And just to, you know, try oh, to hold on 30. to, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, yeah. All these Italian CDs. <laughs> uh, uh yeah.
1: by the way, Jack is still putting out music. He has uh two EPs that came out earlier this year and they still, sound very much unmistakably like Jack Irons. So when yeah. I say that his his road is is I don't want to say narrow, but his road is his road. It is. Yeah. Um uh so I don't, Gigaton ain't happening with him, by the way. Just
0: no.
1: <laughs> uh but listen, it's incredible to think that Jack has crossed paths with the band at two points in their career and both
2: are hugely pivotal. Indeed. I mean it's 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 a special thing to consider. And it's a fun exercise. This was one of those "what ifs" that I uh, I I went down a rabbit hole with. So, if you're listening to us, what do you think, huh?
1: Yeah, I I the Abbey Road call is interesting because it makes me happy and sad at the same time. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) to see what that album might have been, but also like I rather I also do like the fact that they've been a band the last twenty years, so maybe not. (laughs) Um, the other bit of news that came out last week was uh, that. Pearl Jam had, for the second time uh, in a few years, added a track to a benefit compilation. Mm-hmm. This is this one is called Good Music to Ensure Safe Abortion Access to All. Um, they gave uh, Get It Back two years ago to Good Music to Avert the Collapse of American Democracy Volume 2. This time, they've donated a live version of Porch from Frankfurt earlier this summer um great to have pearl jam contributing to a worthy cause not the first time of course uh but with this particular issue i find something um very notable and this is this would now you know quote unquote officially mark about 30 years of support for this issue Um, we can trace it back to, you know, obviously with the biggest inflection point in the beginning is unplugged with pro-choice running on his arm during porch. There you go. Um, the benefit show in Pensacola, Florida, March 9th, 1994 in honor of, uh, Dr. David Gunn and another doctor, uh, being murdered the previous March, um, voters for choice benefit shows back to back nights in January, 95. Those were the, those are the welcome party shows for Jack. Uh, in Washington D.C., of course, Gloria Steinem and others were out uh, and spoke. They've always been advocates uh, on this topic, and here we go again. The question is, why the fuck are we here? <laughs> and uh, what what does what does the ban have to do to move the needle?
2: Oh man! Uh, first of all, nothing. I don't think that they can move the needle. I think what, uh, what they're doing is their part to, I, you know, that's a defeatist mentality. I shouldn't say that. I think what they're doing is their part to contribute towards moving the collective consciousness towards more awareness and hopefully a dialogue that leads to progress. All that being said, they, uh, you know, if you're listening to this, we had a brief window, which I missed, by the way, where we had a, a Halloween T-shirt of made available. Oh, you didn't get this and year's? I didn't get this oh year's. Oh my I did, God. I, It was there for like forty-eight hours, and Clutch I the I pearls. Just, I did not jump on it fast. enough. Uh, I, I will say this though: I, while I, I while I really okay, all the Halloween T-shirts in the past were were very just Halloween centric. Yeah, this one was very political. Yes. It, it, if you were listening, you haven't seen it yet. Essentially, it featured a U.S. Supreme Court building, which was made to look like a haunted house, and then a series of graves gravestones, and it had the court cases written on each gravestone of the the, the many many important um, and, and seminal cases throughout U.S. history that are no longer uh, being be, being respected the way that they once were. Most notably, obviously, the uh, the one on on Roe versus Wade, and so. You end up kind of you know if you're gonna wear that shirt, I mean you're wearing it obviously, but mm-hmm. and, and but you're making a statement with it as well. It's not just I'm putting on a shirt because it's Halloween and I want to wear a Pearl Jam Halloween shirt. You're putting on a shirt and you're saying I'm letting everyone know how I feel on this issue, and rightfully so. I get it. All that said, though, uh, I missed the boat. It was. For- <laughs> It was available and then like two, two and a half days later when I finally had time to jump on it, it was gone. Like the link wasn't even available. It was just gone. You know what I mean? You, I could still find it aftermarket, but
0: yeah,
2: it, uh, it just feels to me like they can continue to try and, and, and push a level of awareness or a way of thinking about this, a perspective, if you will. But what it's really going to require is it's lobbying. And, and that's just that's just the way that it works in america. and 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 that's how anything gets done politically is is through lobbying. and that that's not the America that i I want for my kids, where those with moneyed interests can basically push agendas through politics as opposed to you know really looking critically at at what's good for society and the will of the people, et cetera. I mean, this is a much bigger conversation obviously, and the will but, of
1: the people is often. Not reflected by way of how our government. No, it isn't, you know, and so
2: it's, (laughs) you're absolutely right. So it's, it's, it's a little bit frustrating because it's like, okay, it's a benefit. It's a record. And, but at the same time, you can't poo poo that, you know what I mean? You can't poo poo somebody. Trying to do something, you can't poo-poo a band trying to contribute to something or a benefit album or or, or an, uh, an album or a show that's trying to raise awareness or promote activism. These kinds of things matter, and I think it's great that Pearl Jam continues to to be a part of this. Um, but it's it, it's it's too the the weight and gravity of it is as such that I cannot expect the band to wear the burden of change on its shoulders. You know what I mean? Like what what does the band have to do to for this to finally change? I don't think there's anything they can do specifically other than what they're already doing. And, and oh, the hope is, is that they will initiate inspiration and um, the will for other artists of today's generation to see their platform as an opportunity to contribute as well to, to, to the social infrastructure and, and just awareness. One thing that I, I've realized,
1: um, with this coming out, this is compilation is how consistent the band has been with their activism. Uh, you know, when they were doing this kind of thing in the early to mid nineties, there was a point at which, um, actually backing up your activist talk. Like like having your songs say one thing about you know, society in general and, and right. picking a fight with something, some injustice, but actually following through in real life, um, that started to become not a thing that people cared about in the mid '90s. Um, as you had new metal and you had um, the post grunge bands were just talking about themselves, you know, relationships. No, nobody really wanted to talk about the big issues anymore, and Pearl Jam carried on. And they've stuck by those guns. that they, they have their Vitalogy Foundation. They're still doing surf riders here in, in California to keep the, the, the shores clean. Um, indigenous people stuff. They just posted um, today as we're recording all kinds of um, news clips about how to help Indigenous peoples across the world. I think one of them was in Brazil um, that they posted today. And then the abortion thing. they They have been consistent. And now, to your point... I feel like we're in a time where it is now in vogue again to be activist. I think maybe it's, it may have started with, with the George Floyd stuff. Maybe it started before then with, with Trump being elected. I don't, I don't know, but over the last four five, six years, it started to swing back around again, where people are actually socially conscious again and giving a shit. And it just goes to show when you look at this compilation, the list of bands on here and how, how many of them would have been a part of a, how many existed 30 years ago when pro mm-hmm. was doing this and just the, the sheer amount of them that they have been consistently on board with yeah. walking the walk.
2: Yeah. And, and the talk. all you can do is, is look at a band like that and say, that is what authenticity looks like.
1: And that's why they're my favorite band
2: because they have stood for something
1: Macro, micro, personal, societal, and I recognize mm-hmm. that even as a twelve-year-old, eleven-year-old, that there was some, something, something happening here, and it wasn't just you know. And by by the way, maybe it's sacrilegious to say I enjoy Motley crew I enjoy Kiss, I enjoy smith having a good time, rock and roll, that's, that's just fun. I love it, but everything serves a purpose. Yep. And when I, if you're, if you're, if you're pointing back to what brings me home. What 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 elicits the biggest um and most fulfilling reaction? It's the it's the music that actually does something beyond to make you feel good.
2: Yeah. You want it to be
0: effective.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So 30 years now, they're still banging this drum. The fact that they have to bang this drum 30 years later is fucking ridiculous. But <laughs> banging the drum they are. And I just think that there needs to be a uh, I don't think there's enough said about what they do in that sense. And I think when when all is said and done and the band finally retires, hopefully not even close to now, uh, they're going to have some another documentary. Maybe camera girl will do it again if he's still around. And it'll be like, this is the band's legacy. And we're going to see. God damn it. These guys were I, I always say that they're, they're the greatest American rock band. And people are like, oh, no way, it's, it's Van Halen, it's Aerosmith, blah, blah. And I'm like, you know, I love those bands. But what, what have they done outside of music, outside of what, – what's the 360 view that they have done, that, that they have brought to society? And you look at a band like Pearl Jam, what they have accomplished, not just musically, but even beyond that, what their music has achieved or pushed right. the envelope to do, um, I think is – certainly worth standing up for, which I can't do in this in this closet. But um I just think it's remarkable. Uh I know it's a Pearl Jam podcast and this isn't like, you know, mind blowing stuff, but like th- it made me think about that. Like, fuck, it's been 30 years they're still banging this drum. Like, yeah. It's incredible. I know. I know. <sighs> it's exhausting. But uh it's a it's a good exhaustion because you can be um You can be confident that the band that you love is standing up for what they believe in all these years later so uh let us know uh, how you guys feel about all this um in the comments wherever you uh wherever you talk to us online and uh we'll carry on but for now we gotta carry on with our lyric of the week This week, Lyric of the Week, uh, it may have been the or one of the last recordings with Jack Irons from the Yield Sessions,
0: Mm -hmm. You. I never know how much to save. you spelled you what do you got um the
2: apprehension that Mm. colors relationships sometimes that's a good way to start (laughs) yeah first of all i know what this feels like yeah um you do as well (laughs) and it's it you know (laughs) you, you you end up in these situations in life sometimes where you start to question how safe you are in a relationship. And I don't mean physically. And and my uh my empathy, my heart goes out to anyone listening if that was triggering or it's like gosh, like you've been in an abusive relationship. But mm-hmm. I'm I'm more talking about the emotional safety, like that aspect of a relationship where sometimes it's it's a tricky situation where you you don't really know and you're faced with a volatility that is, it, it, it's not something that you feel like you need to harness or something that you need to, to rein in because ultimately it's not your responsibility to do that. More than anything, it's, it's a battle between how much do you need to protect yourself and how much do you need to reach out and try to be there for someone else in order to make that connection and help a relationship evolve.
1: And the more and you what, do that, the more, and at what cost. It
2: yeah. Right. Exactly. So like yeah. if you
1: get hurt, it, you've, yeah.
2: And so I, 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 I love that it might be your needs. It could be your eyes. It might be the way you don't sit. I mean, it's, 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 uh, is it safe? I like to go deep, but is it safe with you? Um, I, I find that the, the, these, yes, these lyrics are on the nose. I understand that. All that said though, they are very relatable. And the music to me doesn't, it's a, it's a bizarre composition when you think about it, the way that the, it kind of has like a fifties or early sixties. Pop 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 rock song. Yeah. And so it's, when I hear these lyrics though, it's the repetition that follows that pop feel to it. If you take some of that repetition out, these lyrics read very differently, and I don't think they fit the song um, anymore. I, I I feel like it has to be a, the far dark darker song, probably recorded in a minor key or something. It's mm-hmm. it's, uh, but I would I would say that the way it's constructed now, it, you know, it's very much in the vein. Remember, this is right around the time that they had done Last Kiss, yeah, right. They were very much into these like that that fifties sixties sound that that you know, kind of the uh, the sad you know tragic pop song and uh this definitely falls in line with that uh that style of track that we got with Last Kiss which was a huge very highly successful single for them, but I come out 99 I think 98 99 mm-hmm. um it's not as good as Last kiss I think that there's something about the you know the authenticity to use that word again of of the original song that they covered that that I, I think is a little bit absent with this one but they do a wonderful job paying tribute to that sound with a song like this so it it definitely works in a lot of ways um and i think that i just don't know if the audiences of today or even then in the 90s could get behind a song like that and truly absorb the lyrical content in a way that you could in 1958 or 1963 you know what i mean that was the that was the style of music at the time that was the delivery that was the method of delivery for a song even if it was tragic or sad whereas by the time yield came out i mean you had some some you know electronic music that was i mean there was a lot of of very i mean you look at what 90s nails was doing at the time what what smashing pumpkins were doing there was an element of macabre there was an element of of um I will say, it, you know. It,
1: well, this it, is when corn limpets came.
2: Yeah, I mean, like if you wanted to go knot. dark, you could go dark. Yeah, I, you know what I mean. And so, it just it 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 feels it doesn't ring authentic for that reason, given the time that it was coming out in. So, I think when I first heard this song, it didn't it, the lyrics. I I didn't.
1: Well, doesn't I, make I sense because like, you're hearing make what sense, he's saying, it, but then the music seems much happier than that you're like what is they didn't match
2: you know and i understand now looking back on it what they were trying to do like the style of music they were paying homage to but or homage to i don't know but it wasn't homage but uh i don't know i think now i've reconciled that and i can appreciate historically what that song and that style of play was trying to achieve at the time and uh yeah we'll leave it there
1: well, like we said at the very top, there. Goddamn, have I been there! Uh, and I think everyone struggles at a point with their self-confidence in relationships. Mm-hmm. I mentioned vulnerability a minute ago, especially when you're a bit more idealistic, you know, <laughs> uh, about love. You get excited with someone with someone new, and then there's a point where someone definitely likes the other person more than than you do or they uh there's an imbalance and with an imbalance which is definitely felt by both parties comes anxiety and and i literally wrote this word down apprehension to your Mm -hmm. point (laughs) Uh, hence that first line i never know how much to say with you and then that next line i like to go deep but is it safe with you there's a there's a realization there's an understanding that the other person is is out of balance with you it's awkward do you, do you push further as the line suggests, or do you retreat? And if you retreat, what good will that do? Or are you just prolonging the inevitable? You know, if you are if you are safeguarding yourself from being hurt, as opposed to taking the risk of reaching out and being vulnerable to to try and uh, broach the subject, you got to find that balance. And if you're not self, if you're not confident enough in yourself, you're probably always retreat, and you won't know where the line is. Um, kind of like how comedians, some comedians will write jokes that that are increasingly more offensive to find what the line is with the audience so now okay i can go there with them you know but the last few lines there I, I love these the subject has decided that whatever it is they're sticking they're holding out they're taking a chance that the person they're pining for will come around it's a dangerous game to be sure the question is how often does it work out and i i feel like the the chaste usually senses this in bolts that feeling can feel desperate and that's not a good quality. The, um, the chase is something that we've all been a part of whether being chased or chasing, but, uh, th- that when you feel a desperation, that's, that's the difference. And I feel like that he, he is kind of riding around that line here in this stanza. And it's, it makes me feel a little funny, especially with that music behind it. Cause it's like, I don't know how to feel.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> it's just so weird. um, I never know how to feel around you, Ed. I never know how to feel. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, another song that I I think when you dive a little bit deeper, um, when you look at the lyrics a little bit more and when you read them without the song playing while you're reading it and then go back and read along to the lyrics while listening to it, it might like flip a switch for you. Um, No, that's not either good or bad. You might hate it all of a sudden you might love it more all of a sudden, but I feel like that helps with me at least. And, uh, Hey, it's a song that I haven't heard yet. I'd love to hear it just because it's, it's a fun little two and a half minutes. Yeah.
2: And honestly, I I will appreciate, and I mean, this is the most I've spent on this song that the revisiting it. I mean, and, and look, what I love about this podcast is it's enabled me to do this more often, but, and you've talked about it as well for the listener that, you get a chance with these, these lyrics to sit and say, okay, let me sit with a song in a way that I haven't before. Yeah. And, uh, and there's another Pearl Jam podcast out there. Little plug here that does that very, very well as well. Hmm. Hmm. Is it, is it better than some other? (laughs) (laughs) Um, but when you get it, when you get a chance to really sit with a song and really, really think about it, um, you start to appreciate it in ways that you hadn't before. And it makes you really, really relish hearing it live. So this is a song that I'll I'll fully admit, I I think I had not really given too much thought to outside of just kind of the the cursory, these, these lyrics don't seem to match the sound Mm -hmm. observations. And uh, this exercise really allowed me to kind of appreciate a lot of what they were trying to do and and, uh, really, really think on a deeper level about the song that I had in the past. So like you, I hope to hear it as well.
1: All right. Well, let's move on then to the best live versions so far in our live cut of the week. Ready to stand up. All right. Live cut of you only been played 24 times. It debuted in October of 2000. It debuted, holy shit, it debuted 22 years ago today. Yep. How about that? As you're listening to this, October 11th. Holy shit. Where are we going? What's what's the best version we've got so far? Uh,
2: We're going back to October 12th. Oh, the next day. Okay, great. The next day. The second ever recording. Second ever recording, so I, I feel like the the first time was like, oh, let's give this a shot. The second time was okay. Now we know what we're doing. And uh, October twelfth, two thousand, Kansas City, Missouri.
1: I like this cut. It's, um, <clears throat> again, 24, so you could do this in a weekend. Uh, the energy is there.
2: The ro- It's rollicking, you know? It's
1: really rollicking. The thing that I like about this is uh, they nailed the funky intro. The out-of-sync, kind of wobbly, yeah. seasick intro that dun, just dun, it just
0: finds its legs. Yeah, yeah.
1: Exactly. Um, I thought that was really cool. And I thought, yeah, the performance was spot on. It's one of those that's like, it's a simple enough song that if you're going to nail it, you're probably just going to nail it. And then after every time after that, it'll be either that good again or maybe less than. And here we are. Yeah. Guys, that's the show. Um, thank you again for being listeners. For any of you who are new to the show, welcome. Come on in. It's always comfortable in here. We've got drinks. We've got... Uh, We've got uh, that we can
2: share virtually with you, <laughs> yeah, you know we're,
1: we're we're cheersing through the microphones and the and the headphones and the car stereo speakers um one more time if you are interested in joining us on patreon, the link is in our bio on all of our social media platforms. We have t-shirts. We have two different lovely designs um send us a DM and uh, actually if you go on Instagram, you can see both of them mm-hmm. and uh, we might have another one coming out before the end of the year. I don't know. We'll see. And then, of course, uh, the the raffle, the no-code vinyl raffle. If you are looking for your copy and don't want to spend any money,
2: all you got to do is rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on your platform of choice. Is there an echo in here? Did we not already hear that? You got to bookend the show. Just you got to bookend the show. Yeah. Look, it, it, it's really, really simple. <clears throat> And it doesn't take a lot of time. All you have to do is jump in. Just just give us a rating. That's simple, right? It's a swipe. Give us a review. It could be a single word, ladies and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. It, like Whatever you want your review to be, you are now eligible to win this record. Uh, it could be a thumbs up. Um, don't type hi, guys. That, that's, that's not really a review. <laughs> it's, 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 it's an invitation to to chat, but it's definitely not a review. A thumbs up will be fine. Any type of, uh, uh, I mean, obviously we, we greatly appreciate and are forever grateful for anything more you're willing to give us, but the review and the rating actually could be theoretically complete within 60 seconds, 90 yeah. seconds with a little bit more thought. It's not something that I, I believe should take anyone too much time. And at the end of the day, to be eligible to win this beautiful still packaged version of no code on vinyl who loses nobody at that point in time. So,
1: well, I will say that, uh, if you are using Spotify, to listen to us, evidently they, like, they don't let you write reviews. All you can do is oh. rate. So go ahead, give us the, the, uh, the, uh, I hope five star rating and like, just take a little screenshot sent to us. Yeah,
2: and, and what the, the, the irony? Internet. How delicious would it be if we had a brutally negative review that just oh, dragged us through the mud, and that ends up being the one that we... I can't stand. Know, I'll visual. honor it. Boys. I will honor it.
1: Oh yeah, we are an equal opportunity uh, podcast over here. You can say whatever the hell you want.
2: Yep, yeah, absolutely. You say your You can say whatever you want. Fuck shit. Yeah, balls, just you know? Paul and Jason choke on a pumpkin seed. Okay. I don't know what that means. Why well, do I don't well, want to do yeah. that? You know, you know, you roast the pumpkin seeds and then, you know, they kind of get stuck. in you, you had a, know. no, I've never choked I have having like, though. like, you know, really choked the one, but I've had a couple of them. I get lodged back, like, ah, you're trying to clear it out. I, look, we're, we're getting sidetracked. Here. Chew. Chew. <laughs> Chew your food. Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, we'll be back next week with another episode. And uh, until we do, give those thing too.
2: The stay
0: of Love and trust.